Okay, so my bad for taking forever. Um, That's all good. We had pizza tonight, which is great. Uh-huh. I love pizza. And sometimes, and it's just like a hit or miss, one in 50 chance, my body decides that it just doesn't want or like pizza anymore. So I <laughs> ate a lot of pizza. And then I fell asleep on the couch. I was chilling there, taking a nap, and I woke up. And I was like so bloated that I was like, it looked like I was pregnant. And I just fire hosed out of my asshole for like 30 <laughs> minutes. Like I have never experienced anything like it before. Like sometimes it happens where it's like, oh, I ate too much of something. And like, you know, you get a little sick or whatever. Nothing like this. It was, <laughs> it was so much. I was, you said Discord is struggle bus. It was struggle bus in there. That bathroom door is locked right now so that uh, Serena doesn't accidentally walk into a nuke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, you have a talent for describing bowel movements. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was rough. I'm not going to lie. You, you texted and you were like, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And I was like, good. <laughs> you're like... You're, you're like, I can hear it in your voice. Like, it's taken something from your soul. <laughs> like, oh, man. Uh, it was tough. You're talking to your, so you're you're probably lactose intolerant, like, heavily. So I don't think so, though, because, like, I eat a lot of cheese and a lot of dairy and never have issues other than that one in 50 shot. And it's just, like, when that 50th time comes around, it's like winning, winning the lottery. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> a flood coming in. Dang, dude. That's too bad. I feel bad for you. Pizza's a, <laughs> pizza's a staple in my life if I had to battle that. <laughs> Your IBS. Acting no, up. This is a rough one. Oh my God, they were roommates. There's this thing I wanted to read to you. And it's just, it's a story I found on, on Reddit. Um, Sorry to post this here, but I need to tell someone about the situation, and I don't have many friends or close family members I can confide in. I wanted to tell you about the worst moment of my life. Around five years ago while at school, my son went missing. I was completely crushed. His mom had passed away shortly after he was born, and it was just him and I. I was broken. As soon as I found out he was missing, I contacted the police, and a search party was conducted. I went out trying to find him with some friends who were honestly useless and made things harder for me. We went out searching for days. I live in a rough area, and when I asked some strangers for help, they attacked me. The police had no results and I was giving up hope, but I kept on searching. I'm relieved to say I eventually found him asleep on the floor in the doorway of a dentist's office of all things. I can't tell you how overjoyed I was. So I just made all this up and this is the plot of Finding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) It is. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I figured as a parent that would connect a little bit more with you than it did for me. (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty good. I was like, I was really wondering where that was going to go because I was like, okay, the the urgency of this, of this way that story was, I'm like, no, you'd be losing your absolute crap. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, oh, I just found him in the floor of a dentist's office. Like, yeah. nah. <laughs> yeah. It almost feels like it's like not the point. You're like, oh, there's some other thing that's connected to this story that they're telling. But no, it's just a classic kids movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I. Uh, we did talk about this. I was like, geez, the, the Disney story plot where it's just like they can just repurpose the same, regurgitate the same oh, storyline yeah, yeah, over yeah. and over again. It's like, man, I just – I don't get why it's so focused on like strained relationships with parents. Is it just like everyone in the Pixar studios is like 
I got some trauma I gotta put on paper, <laughs> you know, like They've got daddy issues and Oh. Yes. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> I think they uh they realize that most people can relate to not getting along with your parents and so they're just like, yeah, we can capitalize that forever. I feel like the older you get, the more you just kind of turn into your parents. And I have a vivid memory of being a kid. And my dad one day, I was I was sitting on the front lawn. And my dad was like, what the heck is going on? And he was like yelling in the garage. I was like, what is going on? And he opens the garage door. And what happened is we had this huge chest freezer. And my dad goes to, he would go to Alaska every year. And he'd catch a bunch of halibut. Oh, we do the fishing stuff. trips. Yeah, yeah. That's sick. And he, uh, he would always take the, the fish he caught and he would put it in this chest freezer. So we always had this big chest freezer full of fish and other meat and stuff that he had hunted and all that. And one day I was sitting on the lawn and I can hear the commotion in the, the garage. And he comes running out of the garage and he throws up. He just straight up throws up. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And what happened is the chest freezer had a knob on it that would like do the level of freezing. Oh, and my mom was moving boxes, I guess, a couple days prior and had bumped the knob and turned the freezer completely off. Oh, no. And so this huge freezer just chock full of meat, <laughs> defrosted, and just turned into a bloody pool oh. of grossness. And my dad opened it up, and it just unleashed and just threw up his guts. And <laughs> we're, we're stubborn people, the old bruffs. So he, uh, instead of just burning that thing to the ground, he cleaned it out. And I just remember watching him cleaning it out, coming out, throwing up, cleaning it out, like just cycling through it because it was rancid and terrible. Yeah. And just today, we, uh, we've we been smelling something a little, little off in our, our garage, and we have a chest freezer, and it gave up the ghost, and it broke down, and everything we had in there is no. just completely defrosted. <laughs> <laughs> so I luckily, we... We don't go to Alaska every year and fill our freezer full of fish, so it was a lot of like broccoli and stuff. But yeah, yeah it was pretty gross. Molded to the bottom of it, and oh. I had to clean all that crap out. No. I, I took an empty, an empty garbage can, completely empty, and filled it from floor to top with food. No, so probably threw away like eight hundred dollars or so worth of food today. It Dang just it. sucks. But That's the it's worst. All right. You live and you learn. You repeat the the sins of your father. <laughs> <laughs> your dad. That. That takes a lot. I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes, and this is going to be a personal question, but have you ever been like pretty depressed before? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know when you get in those depression moods and like for us, we kind of go in cycles where it's like we're really, really good and then we're just like not. And in the times that we're not, it's always like we made something and we've got leftovers in the fridge and we have like those like glass Pyrex nice food containers, right? And... um we'll like get depressed and so we won't clean out the fridge for a month, six weeks, something like that. And the food inside these Pyrex containers will go bad. But because they're nice containers, like the smell doesn't come out and so you don't really notice it. And we'll go to like clean out the fridge when we're feeling better. We'll crack open one of those lids and it's like <laughs> like that that smell. And I am not going to lie, I have thrown away many Pyrex dishes. Yep. <laughs> filled with yep. Rotten, gross food. And it, it all stems back to, I was roommates with Unker. We were companions in um, Medford. And my mom would have never let that fly in my house. And mm -hmm. so, like, I had just never considered that that was an option. And I moved into that apartment, and the guy that had been there before me was a slob. And so the kitchen mm -hmm. was a disaster. And so I was like, dude, we have got to clean this place. Like, I'm not I'm not dealing with your guys' mess. And so he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to do, like, the bathroom and the, the living room, I'll do the kitchen. And I was like, done deal. 
And so he went in there and literally every dish in that house, he just threw away. And I was like, what's the problem? <laughs> and only now as an adult, do I realize like how beneficial it is to just throw your dishes away. <laughs> yep. Yep. Don't, don't clean it. Don't, don't deal with the smells, the, the, your hand touching wet food in the dishwasher or in the sink, like just throw it away. Pyrex really isn't that expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I cannot wait for you to become a dad because you will experience this dude. Milk. I don't know. And we've talked about spoiled milk, but Hudson's it's the design of the bottle or something, but like she loses her bottle everywhere. Like, yeah. and, and there's just these little sippy cups and like, she'll lose them in the couch. She'll lose them under her bed. And so like every once in a while you come across a sippy cup full of milk, milk that has been, been there for who knows how long. <laughs> and Oh man, there's a couple of times when you, you pop that open and it is so strong that it just knocks you on your, your butt. So I, uh, I, I did I had that realization one day. I was like, it is not worth it. It is not I will pay the five dollars to not have this experience and I just started tossing them and Jen one day was like, where did all of our sippies go? Like, I have no idea. Slowly into the garbage can. Yes. <laughs> oh gosh. That's so yeah, funny. that is that's in, the worst. In that same apartment, um, there was a gallon of milk that had been there for entirely too long. And one thing about missionaries is like since they're not paying for these apartments, they tend to not take care of them. And so uh, they're this, and Oregon uses the, the tall squares that we talked about in the previous episode with the Walmart milk. Like they, it was just one of those tall square ones. It was actually the first time I'd ever seen one was in this apartment, but it was in the fridge. And I, I have no way of knowing how long it was actually in there. But when <laughs> I moved in, the expiration date was five months past and it was in the fridge. And there was signatures on the bottle and essentially how it worked is every time a missionary left the area, they would sign this bottle of rotten milk in the fridge. <laughs> so we cleaned out the apartment, but I, I kept that bottle in there. I kept the traditional eyes. So I signed it. I made sure the guy after me signed it. Like it, it probably had like eight people's signatures. It was a year old in that fridge. <laughs> oh man. That reminds me of my, my last job. I had, I, I, for a short period of time, I had just homies and we all worked in the same department and we were just like really good friends. Yeah. And one of our, our buddies in the department, he had a baby and the hospital gave him this entire, like, it was like a briefcase chuck full of like bubble gum cigars. And it was like, it's a girl on him and stuff. And he brought him to the office. And so we were just munching on these big old like gum cigars. Yeah. <laughs> and every one of them was just like your whole mouth was full of like big league <laughs> chew and you're just like working your jaw out, you know? Yeah. And we would chew up this gum and it somehow got started that we would spit it into this one cup. Oh, so no. we, this cup was, it was this big old cup and just full of gum. The whole thing was full of gum. So it became the gum cup. And we, we, it, we would hide it around the office and carry it to different, different offices and stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like four or five years old now. And the sun has like baked it so that it was full to the brim, but the gum has like been shrunken down to like a quarter of the size. And it's just this solid thing. So when I left the company, I like went and found an employee and I was like, this is the gum cup. You have to keep it alive. Don't let the jander throw it away. <laughs> so that it's is like, disgusting. <laughs> I hope it lives on. I hope I come back 20 years later and the gum cup still lives on. You know, what's so funny about that though, is like when you're in the tradition, it's like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like I will, I will keep the gum cup in my desk, but when you're outside of it and you're thinking like you kept a gallon of milk in your fridge for a year, it's like, that's disgusting. And so like when you're there in the moment, you're just like, yeah, this is cool. And Dude, it is exactly. not cool on the outside. It's gross. 
when I when I had the realization that it wasn't cool was a uh, brewer who we've had on the show and we talked a lot about him him and his wife were the janders that cleaned the stick at the company I worked for and one day well, I was out to dinner with brewer and his wife and and she stopped and she says hey Callum like, can I talk to you about something I was like yeah like what's up and she's like so do you know you know Adam that works there and he was like my good buddy at the, the company that started the gum cup with us and stuff yeah. and he's like I was like yeah he's like does does he have a problem and I'm like what are you talking about and she's like well, he's got this like cup of gum that he sits next to his office. <laughs> like, so like that's when I realized like, oh yeah, this is this is well obviously it was normal, but I was like, we're 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 borderline psychopaths. For doing this. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable, Brianna. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Yeah, um, needs another ad spot just for that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have you ever had the 23andMe done? No, or a similar service? Okay. So I don't know about other services, but I had 23andMe and part of it is they'll give you your, um, like the amount of Neanderthal, Neanderthal, I don't know how to say it, DNA that's in your system or whatever. And supposedly I am like 3% or something. And so it's like not a lot, but it's more than like 60% of their other users, I guess. And there are certain traits that are associated with being or having Neanderthal, Neanderthal DNA. Um, and one of them is, uh, a like it's like a mental condition where it's like you have you quite literally have a hard time throwing away objects that you don't use often mm. and like one that explains a whole lot about my life but i wonder if there's like some neanderthal gene that we all just have or <laughs> it's like the the community grossness like binds us together where we're just like this is disgusting but we're gross together and like <laughs> yeah. makes it cool <laughs> <laughs> I can see it, dude. I need to do that. I, well, maybe I shouldn't do that because I just feel like it's like it comes back to like you are the missing link. You are eighty percent. <laughs> but man, that's pretty cool. I, so when you get your report like back, does it say give you more information like that, or did you look that up afterwards? No, it gives you a whole bunch of stuff, and so it'll mm -hmm. tell you like the breakdown of your genes, but then it'll also be like based on your genes and like where they come from and all this kind of stuff. Here's what we estimate that you look like, and it's like you know. A certain percentage of like you having light hair or light eyes or dimples or things like that and it's it's really neat to see like how many things you fall in the category of and how many things you don't fall in the category of so for example on mine if you go strictly by genes um i should never go bald like right. it's it's i've got like a 93 percent chance of not experiencing baldness before 40 or not baldness, but premature hair loss before 40. And then also like a 91% chance of like never losing hair on the crown of my head or something like that. Like there's two statistics that lay next to each other and I have both. My hairline is receding. <laughs> I have a spot on the crown of my head and it's like, I hit the genetic lottery. <laughs> I had so, I had such high chances of not going bald prematurely. And here I am 2023. Dang. I'm not even 30 yet. And my hairline, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to cut it out of the podcast, but like, this is where my hairline used to be. Uh -huh. That is where it is now. Yeah. That's Starting that's two there. full inches of, of hair loss. So when this is a good question. When are you going to just bite the bullet and go for it? Just Never. all the way. Never. Never. You're just going to always fight it. No, I am. I'm 100% getting hair plugs. There you go. I will pay $20,000 to keep my hair rather than shave it. Cause I got a weird you... shaped head. I do not have the head for it. <laughs> have you seen those people when it's like they get the hair plugs and their head swells? Yeah. Like unbelievably. <laughs> <They get> like, <laughs> yes. Oh man. 
Okay, so you're gonna go hair plug wrap. I, I, I'm starting to, starting to lose it too. Like it's, it's coming in on the sides for sure. Uh huh. And uh, and I just like I, I want to fight it, but I know that if I, if it gets to a certain point, I'm just gonna be the bald guy. I'm just gonna go, go all the way bald. And yeah. Because I've never looked at a bald person and been like, oh, that looks bad. Right. But I have looked at a lot of people when it's like it's thinning and it's it's they should go bald, and I'm like, just give in, yeah. just stop, you know. I think one big benefit is you have a big, beautiful, luscious beard and mustache, and I can't grow <laughs> it. I, I'm physically mm-hmm. incapable, and so if I were to shave my head, I would just be like one of those people that have the disease where they have no hair in their body. Like that would be me. alopecia, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I just like no hair, no hair. So I, I I'm glad you mentioned my beard. I uh. I ran an interesting experiment this week. So right now, the for the viewers of the podcast, uh, Chan has this really nice HD camera, and I plug it in for um, the podcast. And throughout the week while I'm working, I've, I've had it plugged in. And the other day, I was messing around with some settings on like Google Meets, and we use Google Meets in my business like every day. I'll have a meeting or two, and I switched my camera to just my laptop camera. And I have been on meetings with everyone in our company multiple times every week all the way leading up to this week and yeah. I changed my camera and no one has up to this point of this week has made any mention about my beard. Every meeting I've been in, someone's been like, Oh my gosh, your beard. It's crazy. And it's, it's because this HD camera, like you can see like where it's thinning and stuff like that. Yeah. But on my, my laptop camera, it looks like I just have this thick just like beard. <laughs> yeah. So like every, every single meeting I'm in, like it is like at least five minutes of the conversation of people talking about my beard. Excellent. <laughs> so I, I need to go off the HD and go to 1080p and I'll look a lot better. <laughs> Maybe that's all you need, dude. You don't need to get hair plugs. Just live your life in 1080p. Yeah. I'll just invent a device that lowers everyone's vision to the point where they can no longer tell that I'm going bald. Perfect. And if I keep going bald, your vision just gets worse. Until <laughs> <laughs> everyone is blind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I've been playing a lot of um, Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, it's, dude. it's so fun. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And like when it first came out, it got a lot of heat because it was really buggy and kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. But like now, they've it's been out for like three years, so they've been patching, they've been fixing stuff. It runs like a dream, and it is so unbelievably fun. But there's this cool implant that your character gets pretty early on, where they replace your eyes so that you can like zoom, you know, like zoom in on things with your eyes. And one of the benefits is it has like a scrambler in your eye, so that when you walk in front of a security camera, it blurs your face, and like your body is still normal. Um, so like if you have like distinguishing marks or anything like that, you can still be identified. But in the game you have a much easier time escaping from the police when you commit crime because your face is scrambled. I think like as terrifying as that would be of an implant, I'd hundred percent be getting that. Like mm. then I would just blame never having to do family pictures again. Like, Oh, sorry guys. I got an eye <laughs> implant and you won't be able to see me anyway. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen uh there's some celebrities that will only wear a type of clothing because it, it ruins the, the photography flash. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wild. They do it on, um, cars too like before a car has been released and they need to drive it to a test track or to a registered oh, yeah. place or whatever they'll wrap it in like a really crazy design because when you take a picture of it it totally messes up the body lines it's it's wild yeah that's crazy no dude i i, I need to pick your brain about that game because that's one of those games there's a few games that come out that I, i'm like that is my type of game like and, and i know it's an open world and it's shooter and all that type of stuff so it's like is it is it like grand theft auto but just like way better graphics and a lot of fun Grand Theft Auto, way better graphics, a lot of fun. 
and you get to like really customize your character however you want like you like appearance aside like you can change a lot of things about their appearance but like all of your implants you decide so literally last night i installed um what they call mantis blades in my forearms which is basically like 12 inch long swords that come out of my forearms and so i run around and i'm just slashing people in the street <laughs> just murdering and it is so fun <laughs> thank you man. that's awesome cool i need to get that of, of all the games that you've played in like the last year what would you say is like the number one game to get cyberpunk cyberpunk yeah because okay. you can also it's a lot like skyrim where there's a ton of replay value because like you can change mm-hmm. how you do things like 80 different ways and so yeah i would i would do cyberpunk as far as the games that i played in the last year oh yeah i need a, I need a new game so i'll have to check that out i uh i was listening to oh good old joe daddy joe rogan mm-hmm. and uh he i he said an interesting thing and i want to get your your take on it because he he was talking about his experience of gaining fame and he's like there was a, a moment where i had just purchased a, a brand new um a, like condo apartment complex whatever and he is like i walked in and it was like this it wasn't what i had expected because i kind of realized like my prior apartment met all of my needs i had a roof over my head i had food in the fridge and I was completely satisfied, but now that I had so much more money, I just knew I needed to spend it. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I, I purchased a nicer, newer place, and it didn't have that same effect because it was still accomplishing the same thing. It was just exponentially more expensive. Oh. And yeah, and I, I thought that was interesting because I'm sure he lives a very lavish lifestyle comparatively, you know, even still. Yeah. But it's like there, there's it's like an economics pr- principle, the law of diminishing returns, where it's like too much of a good thing where it starts to not serve that that pleasure center or that satisfaction center of your your mindset where it's like it just becomes your normal and you don't appreciate it as much and so i've been thinking about that a lot because I, when i first bought my house i was so pumped about it i was like this is amazing but the longer i live in my house the more i want something else you know i, I want something bigger and better and stuff but i know as soon as i, I get into that situation it's it's gonna become my normal and i'm gonna want more and more and that it's just that that diminishing return on on what you're trying to achieve in life so i want to get your thoughts on that what do you think about that concept i think you're exactly right because when we finally bought our house we we had been trying to buy a house for like two and a half years and initially my credit wasn't good enough and we weren't making enough money and then we were making enough money but my credit still wasn't good and so it was like this whole like rebuild process finally got approved and we toured over 300 houses to uh get into anything because we bought right at the end of uh 2021 the market is like absolutely insane um just everybody was paying cash for houses so like we fought and we put offers in on so many places that we just didn't even really love but we just like needed to get out of our apartment and so uh we finally got under contract on a different house than this uh the house came in under value and i don't know how much you know about mortgage but when that happens um you can still buy a property over the value of what your you know your uh mortgage lender is willing to pay for it but they're not willing to give you that much money for it so it was like it came in i think thirty thousand dollars under what what our offer was and so essentially how it worked out is we would have had to have done our down payment plus all of our fees and all that kind of stuff and an additional thirty thousand cash on top to make up the difference in the purchase price 
So obviously we couldn't do that. The seller backed out like a week before we were supposed to close and it was this whole big thing and we had to start the process over. So we, we toured a, a trillion places. Finally got into this house. The, the previous owner was super great about everything. Like he was ultra willing to work with us and like we had sent him like this letter and like our picture and all that kind of stuff. And he, I'm sure didn't care, but we were paying him a hundred grand more than he paid for the house. And so he was willing to wait and stuff. And uh, we finally got into the house and it was like the greatest feeling in the world. And we haven't even been here two years and I spend probably three or four hours a week on Zillow looking at other things and dreaming about bigger and better and nicer. And my whole life I've wanted a car to run. Like every car I've ever had has just ran like absolute dog shit. And now I have my truck and I've had my truck for seven years. And like, I love it because it's the vehicle that I've owned for the longest but I also hate it because it's like kind of old and kind of ugly and it whatever, but it runs perfect. And so it's like, you're exactly right. You're normal. Your expectation becomes your normal. And then it's just like, well, now this is the minimum. I need to go up from here. And mm-hmm. it's not always best. Yeah. I, I want to dive more into this, but while, while we're on the topic of mortgage, um, with everything that you just talked about, your whole home buying experience, I, I think that that's a, a, something I want to dive into of like, how the crap do you fix that entire process? Cause it is a mess. Like when we were trying to get our home, I spent less time looking at this home than I do in Walmart. Like I literally spent an hour to two hours in Walmart deciding what chicken breast we're gonna use or eat for the week or whatever. And in my home, they let us walk around it one time. We were probably in it for 30 minutes. And then it was like, Things were so crazy. People were buying houses so quick. It was like our realtor was like, okay, we need to put in an offer if you're going to get this. And we did and we got it and all that type of stuff. But it is such a broken system. And you, I know you work for a really cool company that's trying to fix the system, but is it enough? And, and is it, what, uh, what would more would you do to make sure that home buying benefits the buyer rather than this crazy seller market that we've been in for the last couple of years? You, you hit the nail on the head. Every, Every thought that I was having of like the answer is everything that Open Door does. It's not like a motto, but like a something they they live by is like one of their tenants. I don't know the 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 word that businesses use, like their core values and that kind of thing, um, is BIPs for breakfast. Um, And BIPs is BPS basis points, which is essentially uh, a cost measuring system used in real estate and mortgage. Um, And essentially, it's like you know they they do what they can to save on the little things because it's the little things that like really, really add up over the course of a, a purchase. And so one big part of that is cutting out a lot of the, the hands that are in real estate. Cause right now the way it works in traditional mortgage, and I can attest to this because I am a mortgage loan officer and I'm licensed in 13 or 14 States and like have plenty of experience with this. Um, the way it works right now is a, an individual wants to buy a house, right? So they have to get, um, you have to get a realtor and then your realtor will recommend your title company. And then your title company will have three or four other different companies that they subcontract certain tasks out to. Um, so by the time you've even made an offer on a house and are like in inspection mode, there's like 30 people that are like constantly looking at documents and shuffling things, which is why the fees on, on home buying is so freaking expensive. Like when we do even just a simple refinance, when I was doing mortgage, for example, um, a refinance on a property that someone already owned for a loan that we already owned, there was still 
15, 16 people involved and you need to pay all 15 or 16 of those people. And so our fee to refinance a house that you already own is like five grand, which is just unreal. Open Door's whole thing is that they buy cutting out a lot of these extra hands that are in by either doing it in-house or by doing it online can save the you know $3,500 of that five grand on your closing costs. And so, you know, over the course of however many customers, it adds up a ton. And the whole point of them doing that is they want to start a trend of that in real estate. Cause that's, that's like the mission is to completely redo the system because you're right. It's, it's upside down. It's weird. It's broken. So open door is 100% digital. Unless you're in a state that requires a wet signature on a contract, you will never like meet with a person. So you download the app, you go tour a house at whatever time you want, like the door unlocks with the code in the app. And so um, you don't need to have a realtor there. You don't need to plan your visit. You don't need to do anything. Then you make an offer directly from your phone. If you already have financing, you can link it super easily. If you don't, they offer financing. If you're wanting to buy a house that Open Door does not own, but you still want to be competitive in the market, Open Door will pay cash for that house up front and then mortgage it back to you in the same process so that you're not losing out because some guy in California has $480,000 in cash. So it's a really cool system. And I think once the market has settled back, you'll find more companies that start to do it. So Open Door is the biggest of what we would call an iBuyer, which is that like niche version of buying. But there's also companies like OfferPad and and Zillow used to do it for a little bit before Open Door purchased that part of their their process. Yeah, I think once more companies go along the model of cutting out lots of the people and just letting computers and AIs and all that kind of stuff really dominate the system, I think it'll get a lot cheaper and a lot easier. And so we should see prices and stuff go down. But I don't know yeah, if that I, answered your question even remotely. But No, it, it does. I uh, I think that it right now it's almost unrealistic to imagine you can buy a home without the special programs that exist where it's like first time home buyers there's a lot of stuff in each state where it's like they they have programs that benefit first time home buyers but like the day and age that we live just to survive it, it almost takes a double income home to to do things and and how, owning a home is like in america like for our one rwanda listener like he's probably not gonna relate to this but it's like in america it's almost uh, a need i would say like in order for you to feel like you're an adult and you're progressing and you're growing up it's home ownership and i don't know how that was ingrained in our culture but that was a dream i had when i was five years old like i, I knew i was gonna buy a home someday yeah and and i just feel like with that expectation and that knowledge and that understanding like people will get themselves in crappy situations and in the pursuit of the dream and the pursuit of this preconceived five-year-old notion that I have to have a home in order to be happy. That's what makes them successful. That, yeah. And, and, it, and we buy homes at a point in our life where it's like, it probably doesn't make any sense. You know, like <laughs> you, you probably should buy your first home in your mid thirties when you've put enough away to put down the down payment and have good credit and all that type of stuff, you know, yeah. but majority of us are going to buy it in our early twenties because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And you could do that in the sixties and fifties and, and that was fine. But it's like the day and age that we live it, it is a lot harder to get there. So I had roundabout way of getting back to your point of like, if we can automate and, and cut out the real estate agent that makes z- zero sense. <laughs> real, real estate agents are just like... An insane amount of money. Insane. Insane. Like we, we know that we 
Like that that's what bothers me more than anything in the world is when there's a list price and I expect that I'm going to pay a list price and then I end up paying way more than my list price. So like when we bought our home, I had it in my mind, this is what they want, this is what we're going to pay and what and it ended up being 10 grand over the list price, you know? And I was like, this is not what I agreed to and signed up for, but oh, my real estate agent, oh, there's this fee and that thing and blah, blah, and they get their cut and all that type of stuff. And I was just like, okay, you know, like that, that, that didn't seem necessary <laughs> and, and people do it without it and, and get on them. But like, yeah, I, I think that the only way it becomes realistic for at this day and age for people to pursue that dream and achieve that dream is home prices are going to have to go down significantly and Right now, there's just a shortage of inventory, and so there's no need to. There's no incentive, you know, to yeah. to break the broken or to fix the broken system. But there's companies out there, Open Door, the sponsor of this week's the podcast. <laughs> Hire Mimit back. Yeah. yeah, like maybe the, maybe it's, that's what we turn the whole podcast into. It's just like a campaign to get you just back on the, Open Door. <laughs> this uh, this week was was my anniversary six months since I've been mm-hmm. laid off, and like technically. Um, I was still an employee until the 16th. So the 16th of this month will be like the official termination of my, my employment. But I sent like how they worked it out is, you know, we all got our notice and then they kept us on payroll for two more weeks. And then after that two week part or two week, whatever, um, we got 10 weeks of paid severance and stuff. And so like, realistically, the 16th is, is my actual, um, actual anniversary. But it was this week that I found out then I was no longer employed there, which was pretty terrible. You want to hear a comparison, though, of a good company and how they do that right versus a terrible, awful, bad company? Yeah. My my brother, he worked for a company called Progression and has for the last Progression. 12... Yeah, Progression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't put him on blast. I, I know that they're probably into it. But anyways, put him on blast. The way that it worked for him was... He'd worked there 20 years, I don't know, forever. He's worked there since he, he first ever had a job. And he's in upper management, all this type of stuff. And he walked in and they said, we can't afford to pay anybody, basically. And your last day is tomorrow. And eight, 800, they fired 800 people at one time over a Zoom call and said, your, your last day is tomorrow and your health insurance expires at the end of this month. Good luck. Like, that's it. Like, that is... It's crazy. Like I know that that's not like a unique story to them. Yeah. It's other companies handle layoffs this poorly, but basically, that's like they got themselves in such a crappy situation. Yeah, they there is no there's no doing it the right way because they've done it the wrong way. You know? Did did they pay him out severance? Do you know? So I I don't know how it's it's panning out. I just know that he's you know, not there in a rough state right now because okay. it's like. You imagine twenty years, and they just yeah. Walk into work no, one day I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I was at I was at Open Door eight months and was heartbroken. But you should um you should ask him if he's getting severance or not, because if they did not give him thirty days notice, they are legally required to pay him out two months, and it's part mm-hmm. of the the Warren laws. Which like there there's very few things that I think our our government has like really established a good idea that defends people rather than corporations. Um, but this is one of those things. It just like WARN, they're required if they're going to lay off, I think it's more than more than 350 people at a time or something like that. Like legally, they have to tell you 30 days in advance that you're going to lose your job. Otherwise, they have to pay you two months of your pay. 
Um, and that was part of the reason why we got such a good deal at Open Doors because they let go 550 people. But um, something like that, if they're not paying him, he can get into a pretty nice little lawsuit. And like, yeah, Progression probably doesn't have cash on hand, but they've got office buildings and they've got all kinds of stuff and he could get a pretty gnarly little settlement from them. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Though he hasn't communicated with me much. I I got that all those details from my second hand from my father, so I don't know exactly how it's gone down. But the one text he he did reply back, he's like, "Imagine a billion dollar company crumbling in two days," and it's like, that's that's crazy. <laughs> that's like the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, like that bank run that just like destroyed <laughs> an entire bank in two days, like. They were fine, and then a couple tweets went out, and then they didn't exist anymore. We're in a yeah. weird time financially. Yeah, dude, that that's what's so wild about the economy and, and everything is getting a collective group of people to take action in a short amount of time. Like the Silicon Valley Bank would still be exist today if everyone didn't run to the bank at one time and withdraw their funds. Like, you know, like they, they maybe could have got themselves out of the hole. Like obviously it was a terrible financial pick. They, they were in a bad situation, but it's like if they didn't leak, if it didn't get leaked, if people still thought their money was secure and all that type of stuff, like it would still exist today. Yeah. That's wild. That's absolutely wild. Well, and I can't even imagine being like a teller there in a physical location because it's like over the course of three days, I think it was like $180 million was withdrawn. Can you imagine being a teller and they're like, all right, all hands on deck. You're going to give out $20 million as an individual today, each one of you. And it's like, wow, like insane. And like, insane. of course the bank collapsed. Who has that kind of money on hand, you know? Yeah. No business I don't, does. I don't get banks. <laughs> we, we talked about this a little bit last time. But again, we need to bring on an economist. But it's like the fact that it's just these made up numbers that I can exchange for a physical bill, which is also just a made up thing for exchange of gold. <laughs> like yeah. it is, it's supposedly, you know, it's just a yeah. bond. Like it's just, none of it makes any sense. And gold, let's go back to that. Why? I understand it's a precious metal. I understand it's application use and stuff, but like the gold standard and having our money backed by gold, what a freaking weird thing. Yeah. Like, is, isn't it just crazy that we were able to convince all of us that we're like, this shiny rock is important. Like yeah. we should have just said like gravel is our, is our currency and it's very important. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there'd be a much different world where we'd all live like Kings. Yeah. I think you're, uh, you're leaning into socialism. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is that's not, not where I want to be. But I, I believe in, I'm, I'm a cat. I believe in capitalism. Like I, I think the competition's good. I think that, you know, and I understand people's strong opinions yeah. against it, but I, I just think that a world where there isn't competition, it just doesn't promote innovation. It's people need to, there needs to be a hierarchy for people to be pushed and, and when everything is equal and fair and theoretically fair, you know, I just, historically it hasn't panned out and I don't yeah. know if it would pan out. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say I'm a, I am a fan of capitalism. I think that it has its issues, but so does every financial system. Like there's never going to be one that's perfect in every way, but I wish that if, if we're going to do capitalism, that we like did it right and had true capitalism where it's like the market determines the value Because like right now as going back to Silicon Valley bank, you know, that our, our government deems certain institutions quote unquote too big to fail. And so 
those companies get to privatize their profits, but when they're not doing so well, they socialize the cost and we all end up paying for it. And so the fact that, you know, the, the five or six banks or whatever it was got a $18 billion handout or $180 billion handout or whatever it was, the fact that they got that handout says that we're not really true capitalists because they, like the government paid them out. Chevy, mm-hmm. GM, we bought, we bailed them out in 2008. And it's like, if we had true capitalism, we would have just let them go under like yeah. other cars would have sold better. So that's true. That's how you get true innovation is actual competition that causes downfall. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cause it, there's obviously consequences and they, they laid off a lot of people and all types of, but I wonder if those the people at the top go to sleep knowing that like, if the world crumbles, it's still okay. I'll still have my private jet and I'll still, you know, like <laughs> I, I will be okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. That That's one thing I've been thinking a lot about recently, which is I, I wish I had, it's, it's a type of person and I'm not this type of person and I wish I had it and I understood it. There is a, in all the CEOs I've ever known in my life, there is like a, a personality trait that they have um, that is like common amongst them. And mm. it's this drive to just be bigger and badder and, and better. And, and sometimes it, it, it sides on the side of narcissism and, and lifting themselves up and trying to, you know, look at me, I'm a leader and I'm cool and I'm awesome, that type of thing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that all CEOs are like that. And I, I know that there's, there's people that, that are able to suppress that narcissism, but this is something that's so hard for me to wrap my mind around every company I've ever worked for. They go and they, they build out these projections and they say two years from now, we're going to launch XYZ product and we're going to make this much money. And that far removed, there is not a business in the world that is very good. And maybe like the top dogs are, but like most smaller companies are not good enough to forecast and say, we're actually going to make that money. Yeah. We're like, you know, and so they go and they, they make up a fake number. That's, that's the best way to describe it is it's a fake number and they kill themselves to hit that. And it's, they, they hire out the wazoo, they push their sales team, they do all the type of stuff to hit this imaginary number. And then if they hit it, it's like they've dug themselves in a hole because they've brought on investors to hire the capital or the software or whatever it is to help them hit that goal. But it's almost like, why did we set the goal so high? <laughs> you know, like why why not live like a little bit like within our means and, and be happy that we, we hit a goal that was twenty percent lower, you know, yeah. like but I, I get it, I get that high goals pushes people beyond, but also it's it's something it's I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Because I, I have worked for tons of companies not I haven't worked for tons of companies. I've worked at companies that set tons of very high lofty goals and when we miss it, it they haven't resulted in layoffs, which tells me that like there was a recognition that the goal was too high, but they were okay missing it by a certain percentage. Yeah, and that's weird to me. It's it's weird. I think morale would be better if we actually hit our goals sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because when I started my pest control company, that was my exact thing. Like I very far removed from reality, set a certain expectation, and then built the company around that expectation of this is how much money I need to make and brought on way too many people, had an office space that was too big, had too many vehicles that I owned, had like rent that I was paying for employees and stuff. And so we started day one with $10,000 a month in cost and zero customers. And then it was just like panic mode. 
from there of just like trying to hit goals so that we could pay. And it took a couple years, like two and a half years worth of doing that to get to a point where it was like, my customers are actually covering my cost rather than, you know, I was basically being either subsidized by my father-in-law who was giving me little extra investments on the side on top of his initial investment or via my regular job. And I'd work 40 hours a week and I'd take half of my paycheck and dump it into the business so that I could keep the building. Whereas if I had set more reasonable goals for myself and said, Hey, rather than bringing on six people to work for me and having two trucks in this, you know, in, enormous warehouse space, I'll get an office that's half the size, have one truck, buy a little bit more product than I need, not as much as I did. Cause I bought like $10,000 worth of product up front and then, uh, like start pooping blood because I'm so stressed out all the time. I feel like it could have been really, really good for me because I was hitting the goals when it was just me there and the recovery was kind of shitty, but like if I had started lower and started slower and just said, okay, like my office space is 1500 bucks a month and this truck costs four or five grand and I spend a couple hundred dollars a month on product, it's like $2,000 is pretty easy to hit, whereas $10,000 a month is not easy to hit. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right there with you. We're, we're, the problem is we dream big. We get these ideas that we're 10 times better than we are. Yep. But I'm glad that there are people like that. And I I know I've said this to you in the past, but that's always something I've respected about you is like you do you do take risk and you do go after what you want. Where it's like I am the the low and slow. <laughs> I accumulate <laughs> slowly over time. But uh, I, I think it takes both types of people to, to make the world run, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another fantastic episode of the Roommates Couch Podcast. We are going to have some fantastic guests uh, coming up into the podcast soon, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow that, uh, hit that follow button or the subscribe button. Wherever you're watching or listening to the podcast, we'd love to have you share it with your friends. Thanks, and have a great day.